Welcome to the Run for PRs podcast. This is your host, Victoria Phillippe. The Run for PRs podcast was created to give away the secrets to transform your training to reach your goals. We ask all the expert run coaches and athletes the questions that you've been dying to know the answers to. We will get the inside scoop on what really makes you the best athlete that you can be. Have you ever seen a fast runner and wonder, wow, how did they get so fast? Well, then this podcast is for you. We are going to do a deep dive to reveal the secrets to reaching your potential as a runner. Qualifying and registering for the Boston Marathon. Qualifying for the Boston Marathon is an amazing accomplishment. This is the time of year where many runners typically become interested in nailing down their plan to get to Boston because the Boston Marathon typically takes place in April. All the hype surrounding the Boston Marathon is a great time to chat about the facts and how to get into Boston and how the standards have changed over the years. Uh, Jason is here with me. He has ran the Boston Marathon two times and has qualified several other times. He has been running for over 20 years now and he is the head cross country and track coach at the University of Wisconsin River Falls in addition to being a full-time coach here at Run for PRs. Um, I am Victoria Philippi. I have ran Boston three times and I have qualified several other times. Um, so we are well versed in what it takes to qualify and a little bit of the history about qualifying. So Jason, what are the Boston qualification standards for Boston 2021, which takes place next year? So, so for the age group standards, you know, typically um, it's up to 34. So I think you have to be 18 to run Boston, but 18 to 34 for the men, it's going to be three hours. And for the women, it's three hours, 30 minutes. And then um, with each age group increase, it's going to go up five minutes. So each age group is typically um, four or five years. So basically 35 to 39 and then 40 to 44 and so on. Um, I think that's all the way up to, yeah, all the way up to 80. So it's every five years and there's a five minute increase. Um, so, you know, masters for women is 340 and for men is 310. And then I think there's, there is a, a significant jump when you turn, uh, when you turn 45. So it goes up 10 minutes. So, um, I think other than that, it's, and then there's another jump when you turn 60, it goes up 15 minutes. So it's kind of a five minute increment for each five year age group, except for a few where there'll be a, a bigger jump. Yeah, that was a lot of information to take in. Um, so, you know, the baseline starts for the youngest people, for women, 330, uh, and then three hours for the marathon. So I guess where can someone find these charts and graphs? Because it's kind of hard to verbalize, you know, all the, all the qualifying times for people. What's the best place for someone to find these times? Yeah, I just pulled them up on BAA.org. So it's basically the Boston Association website. You can just Google Boston Marathon Times and it'll have like a chart and it'll... It'll also tell you the accepted times for the most previous year. So just because you run the three hours doesn't mean you, you got in. So it'll have each year, it'll have what it actually took to get in. Right. Yeah. I think we're going to touch on that a little bit later on the podcast, talking about what you actually need to run and all those sort of things. Uh, so I guess the first big you know confusion for some people is... What is the Boston qualifying window? So let's say you want to run Boston 2021. 
when do you have to qualify? What is the window for qualifying for that race? When is it open? When does it close? So when do you have to actually run your qualifying time to get into that race in April 2021? Uh, Typically, the qualifying window, I think, would be usually September 15th of, is it 2019? Yeah, mid-September. And then it will close um, the following September um, of the year leading up to it. So it'd be September 19, mid-September of 2019, and then it'll close mid-September of 2020, which would be this fall. And that will be for the 2021 Boston. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So that's enough to make people confused right off the bat, especially for me. So basically you can qualify for this race late September, 2019 and not actually run it till April, 2021. So that's like 18 months or longer. You know, you can qualify really in advance for this. Um, you know, I ran a marathon October, I think it was like October 5th or 6th this year, uh, the Twin Cities Marathon. And so that was October 2019. And that qualified me for Boston 2021 in April of 2021. So it's an 18-month you know, turnaround for me there. Um, but also interesting is that you can still qualify for that race even in September of 2020. So we just have to think Boston almost treats the calendar year running from like mid-September to mid-September. And you just have to qualify at least, you know, in September. So that would be at least seven months in advance. You have to qualify. So if you want to run, you know, any year of Boston, let's say, you know, Boston 2025, that's your goal. You're going to have to qualify at least seven months in advance. So your qualifier will have to be at least in 2023 or 2024, um, in September of 2023 to September of 2024. So it takes a lot of planning to kind of nail this down. It's not like a typical race where you can just be like, yeah, I qualified. No, I can run it. You know, in April, uh, you know, I or I ran a qualifying time in October and I have to wait, you know, a year and a half to run it. So just keeping those things in mind when you're planning ahead, you know, if you're planning job changes or, you know, to get pregnant or have a kid, all those sort of things, just understanding how it works is really important because just the registration for this race can be so confusing. Um, another thing a lot of people have asked the question on is, you know, we talked about the 3.30 marathon. We talked about the three-hour marathon. What does that mean? So you have to qualify with a marathon, right? Yes, you do have to qualify with a marathon. It's not like some of the other majors now where you can qualify with a half time. So you need to run that qualifying time, like Victoria said, um, you know, between 7 and 19 months before the race. Um, and whatever... Um, you're probably going to talk about this next, but however old you're going to be at the time of Boston, that's the time you need to have ran seven to 19 months prior. So you could actually age up in the time in between your race and then when you actually go to Boston. All right. So this is like the most confusing part of Boston. Um, so if you're planning to age up, so Jason here, he is 30... You're going to be, wait, how old? You're, you're going to be 34. So when you start aging up, that's where things get dicey. So if you're in your early 20s, don't even worry about it. Um, but if you're, you know, anywhere between, you know, 33 and older, this is where you might like tune in real good here. So your qualifying time, if you go on the Boston Marathon website and you're looking at the charts, those times you have to run are based on your age for the Boston 
2021, right? So they're not based on your age when you're actually running your qualifying time. So here you could be, you know, let's say hypothetically this fall I was 30, well, let's say I was 30, let's say I was 33 years old this fall when I ran my, you know, Boston qualifying time. Um, I'm not running the actual Boston marathon race for 18 more months, right? So if I'm 35 on the day that that Boston 2021 is, I automatically will age up to the next age group. Doesn't matter how young I am when I run the actual qualifying time. It matters how old you are on the Boston race day, which is super confusing because you can qualify 19 months in advance of this. So, you know, most people, they might be 34 or 44 or whatever age when they qualify, but because they're going to be older on Boston race day, they're actually able to quote unquote age up. Right. So we have a friend, um, a similar thing happened. You know, he was 30, 34 or 33 when he ran his marathon qualifying time, but he got an extra five minutes because he's going to be 35 on race day. So those are things you really want to be paying attention to. So let's say you feel like you're getting close to Boston, right? But you're also getting a little older. So you might look at, okay, when is the next time I age up? And that's really when I'm going to go after it. Because it just doesn't make any sense, you know, to, to really, if you're, I mean, you got to time it right. And so just knowing these facts can help some people really like reach their potential and see kind of what the best possible um, time to run the race is for them. Because I know Jason here, of course he could run, you know, sub three if, you know, he trained really hard, but being able to utilize that, that extra five minute buffer could be really nice because as we're going to get into just because you qualify for the Boston Marathon doesn't actually mean you get to run the race. So again, there's just so many crazy variables that are going on with Boston. So there's different qualifying times for like all these different ages. You look at the chart. The next thing that's crazy is it runs from September to September. So you either are qualifying 19 months in advance or seven months in advance, anywhere in between. You can't register, you know, before the race. You have to qualify before. And then the next thing that's crazy is the aging up thing, right? So we talked about how you're, you could be 33, but you're actually qualifying using the 35 year old standard. So your birthday really matters. You know, if you're born beginning of April, you lucked out because you're going to be able to like age up right before that marathon. Um, whereas if you're born in May, like, sorry, boohoo, like you're not really going to be able to take as much of an advantage on that. Which is interesting now that they, yeah, they postponed Boston this year. It's like all those people could have aged up. But um, now I think we're going to talk a little bit about the history of the standards. So we talked about, you know, you qualify. Yay, you qualify. Um, A lot of people don't celebrate when they qualify anymore because in the last, you know, five years, not everyone who qualifies gets in. And that's like a big deal. So Jason, when you first, you know, graduated from college and you started, you know, running marathons, what were the qualifying times and have they changed um, since yeah. then? Because I think, you know, at one point in the early 2000s, it was 310 for, for men who were under the age of 35. Yeah, I know. Even when I came out of college, a couple of my teammates, they still had to run 310. So and that was about 10 or 11 years ago. So, you know, if 10 years ago it was 310, and then I think a few years after that it, it did go to the 305 for men. 
um, through 35 for women. And then just in the last, I think, what, three to four years, uh, just two years ago, actually, it was where it went down to three flat and 330. So it, it has been, you know, I'd say an average of about five to six years, it's been improving or the times have been getting faster. I don't recall, though, how long it was at 310 for. I'm guessing it was quite a while. You'd have to look back and see. But um, I, just, I just think with obviously um, with the Internet and the, the increase of social media and everything, I think that that really has led to a, a big popularity increase in our sport. And so more and more people are getting into marathoning and finding out what Boston is and stuff. So I think that's contributed to the number of entries that they're getting. And so they've had to, you know, lower the time standards just to make it more competitive. And, um, you know, the qualification qualification times that are accepted, um, you know, typically, like Victoria said, you're not guaranteed it. Uh, if you run 259.59, you're definitely not guaranteed. You're going to have to get what's called the buffer time. And that's an unknown number. Like, we don't know what that is. So, you know, you have to keep that in mind with when you're training and everything and thinking about, you know, some years it takes, I don't know, up to like four minute buffer. Other years, it could just be a minute or a minute and a half. So it's really going to depend. Right. Yeah. That whole buffer situation is just is rough. So I guess, you know, I have kind of written down what they were the last five years. So in 2015, it was one minute, two seconds. 2016, it was two minutes, 28 seconds. So trending upwards. But then in 2017, it was two minutes and nine seconds. So it, it, it got like, it wasn't as extreme. But then in 2018, it was three minutes, 23 seconds. 2019, four minutes and 52 seconds. And that one really blindsided people. Because, you know, obviously trending way, way upwards here. And then what they did in 2019 is they completely changed the standard. So that's when they changed it from like the 305, 335 to the 3 and the 330. Um, pretty much everyone got rejected who had only qualified by five minutes. I had people get rejected who had qualified by who, who were like one or two seconds under. It was just brutal because that year... You know, you always go into the Boston registration. If you if you have less than a five-minute buffer, you always kind of have an unknown. And at that time, most people would say, oh, you know, if you, if you have a three-minute buffer, you're, you're good. You know, like no one was thinking it was going to be almost five. You almost had to run five minutes faster. So that was insane. Like you had to run at least like a 3.30.08. So basically 3.30. So then they just up and said, you know what, we're changing the standards because – we, we haven't been able to admit people the last couple of years. So they just flat out changed things. So then 2020 rolls around um, and those qualifiers, you know, it was the new standard. So you had to hit the 330, but still yet they did not accept everyone. And you had to have run, you know, at least one minute and 39 seconds. So it's just like getting faster and faster and faster. And so if you're a woman under the age of 35, you would have had to run uh, what is it like 328.21, which is super fast compared to what the standards are. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's getting faster each year, and I think the trend is going to continue. Um, but one thing that's for sure is like you never know what the cutoff is going to be. So, I get asked that question all the time. Like, people are like, well, What do I need? Just like a five minute buffer? And I'm like, I don't know. You know, the first time I qualified was I qualified for the boss in 2015. Um, I had about at the time a seven and a half minute buffer. And even at that time, before things got extreme, it was always like a question mark. Like, well, I don't know. Like I qualify, but like, I don't know if I'm getting admitted. 
Um, and so that's kind of where, where it's at. It's like, you never know if you're going to get admitted. And so just never really getting your hopes up until you get that confirmation email from Boston. Um, again, all you can do is focus on the controllables, you know, like you can't control what the cutoff is going to be, but you can control putting everything you have into training. And, you know, if you qualify for a Boston, chances are you're doing everything possible and you're getting in the best shape possible. You're picking the fastest race possible. All those things are very important. And so just understanding that you're giving it all that you have. And if it's just not enough, like don't let an outside source like tell you that, oh, you didn't try hard enough because that's not the case at all. It just, they can't accept everyone. And sometimes things just happen. And so don't get too caught up in that. I know it can be extremely disappointing, uh, but the bottom line is just do the best that you can to get the biggest buffer and then don't worry about the rest. Um, yeah, I think, you know, sometimes people want to force me to tell them what I think, you know, like the cutoff is going to be. And I'm always like, I really don't know. I would say you're safe if you have like a 20 minute buffer. (laughs) But other than that, I really, I don't know. Um, It's just luck of the draw, to be honest. And even going into Boston 2022, I don't even know. I only have like a five something buffer five minutes but it's like I I probably won't get in with that like I don't know and that's just the attitude that I have towards it that way I wouldn't get disappointed if I don't right so understanding there's two separate like pieces to Boston there's the qualifying which is an amazing accomplishment you qualified that's something you can brag like for the rest of your life right that's like a badge of honor and then there's actually like running it um and getting into the race so you know I think qualifying is cooler (laughs) running it but that's just me you know because sometimes you can't you know so you might get injured or they might postpone the race like they did this year so just focusing on like what you can control and just remembering those things and doing the best that you can to get the biggest buffer you can um so I guess Jason how does the registration process work so when what time of year does it open and how does it work yeah, uh, it's been a few years since I registered, but I believe it opens in September, you know, right after the window closes typically. And they'll they'll email out like, you know, based on your buffer time and how much time you've had under your qualifying time, you know, you get to register first. So the people who have over a 20 minute buffer, they get to register first on like day one and two. And then the next day it might be a 10, uh, 15 to 20 minute buffer. And then the next day it might be 10 to 15, all the way down to five. And like Victoria said earlier, if you just had that, zero to five minute buffer, that's where it's kind of like risky. You just, you're not, you're not going to know at the time you're submitting your, um, your entry, if it's going to get accepted. Um, and then typically it takes a week or two, at least for them to, once it closes for them to process it and figure out what their, you know, exact qualifying mark is going to be. Um, so it's, it's really a, a couple week process from the moment registration opens to submitting yours, but then also getting your notification. So it can take weeks to hear back. Um, from the final groups. And sometimes, you know, it's, I know that year where it's 452, a lot of runners in were just blindsided, like you said, but that year in 2015, when it was 102, I remember I put down a 303 something. I would not think I'd get in at all. I like had no hope and it was surprised that I got in. So it was kind of like, you know, it was, it was interesting that year, but luck of the draw. Right. Yeah. I mean, you never know what you're going to get. And I think that's kind of like the lottery aspect of the Boston Marathon. It's kind of like, oh, there's so much anxiety. I've had so many athletes that qualify with less than a five minute buffer. And those, they hold those people almost like in this limbo for two weeks, usually. 
Because they're basically totaling everyone, making sure all the numbers are right. And then they have to like figure out like what the actual cutoff is by, you know, each age group, whatever, figuring out what the exact number of athletes they can actually admit to their race and where that, how they do that is very time consuming with all the data that they have to, you know, go through. Um, and then they relay the uh, information on to you via email and you'll kind of get your, your either acceptance or, you know, unfortunately, some people get the rejection email from Boston. Um, but how are some ways that you can, you know, guarantee and ensure that you get a spot at Boston? Is there any way to even really do that? Where do you think the safe zone is? You know, just kind of off the cuff, like where would you feel safe? to go to Boston. I know I said earlier, you know, a 20 minute buffer, guarantee your spot. But what do you think it is? Um, I, I think now that they made those changes, I would, I'd feel confident in anything like probably six minutes under. Um, but you know, if they didn't make those changes two years ago, what would it have taken a six minute, 39 second buffer? So that that's a lot. I don't think anyone saw that coming. So now it's back to, you know, it was a minute 39 this last year, but I, I think, you definitely got to get over the five minute buffer and then have an extra minute or two to really be safe and to feel that confident. Um, cause people are just running faster times now than ever. I mean, you, you saw with the trials this year, there were more people that qualified than ever before, both on the men and women's side. So, um, it's the same thing with the amount of people that are hitting a BQ time every year. Right. Yeah. People are just really rising to the occasion. And I think the Olympic trials was a good example of that. I mean, before, you know, that standard used to be, really hard to hit people I mean the time hasn't changed actually they made the Olympic trials easier to qualify for it used to be 243 um, back before the 2016 they lowered it to sub 245 Um, so they gave two two extra minutes back in hopes that more people would qualify Um, I think it you know I don't know the numbers here but it was a lot more participants on men's and women's side this go around in 2020 than in 2016. And it just keeps getting exponentially greater. And, you know, those sort of times that they're running for the Olympic trials qualifying is, is so elite. I mean, it's on a different level than Boston qualifying. Um, so to give you an example, you know, a woman, 30 to whatever, under 35 for Boston, needs to run eight-minute pace for 26.2 miles. Um, whereas the Olympic trials... For, they need to run six six eighteen ish pace for twenty six point two miles, so it's almost like two minutes per mile faster, um, and it's not age graded. So you could have you know like forty fifty. Well, I don't think any fifty maybe, but a lot. There are women in their forties that qualify and run. So I mean, they're running six. 618, 620 pace for 26.2 miles to qualify. Um, so that's that's crazy. So people are just getting faster across the board. Um, it's not even like the Boston standard is, you know, more people are hitting that. It's just like everyone is getting faster, right? Like p- really fast people are getting faster. Um, world records have been getting broken. I mean, we saw the uh, the marathon, you know, the sub the sub two happened this year, and obviously that wasn't like an official world record or anything, but we're seeing crazy breakout races happening for a lot of people, and I think a lot of that has to do, you know, with courses and technology and all that stuff. Um, what do you think is going to continue to happen with this trend in the future? Do you think that things are just going to get faster? Do you think eventually, like, do you think it's just a phase? Like, people are eventually just going to get over running, or where do you see it? trending yeah i mean it's it's interesting to kind of speculate and think about i i think it's tough to really to know i i i know what's the new york city qualifying time now i think it's like 245 for men 
and it's probably three fifteen for women. I mean, if it ever got to that point, I, I guess I could see it getting down to that level, but I think that that's about the max, and hopefully it'll take, I don't know, 15, 20 years to get to that point. So I think the trend is going to be, you know, every five to 10 years, maybe they lower it five minutes. It just is going to depend on the number of entries that they're getting, um, but it, it definitely is, um, you know, more people I think are running BQs, so... Yeah, it's definitely rising in popularity. I think there's been a surge of, you know, distance running in the last 10 years. People are getting more into it. Maybe it's social media. Um, Maybe, you know, a lot of it's technology is getting better. And so people are, you know, utilizing that a little bit more. But I like how you said, you know, it it could continue to get even faster. I think if you look historically back at some of the Boston qualifying times, uh, you know, several decades ago, there were times where they were, you know, just as strict as kind of the New York ones are right now. They used to be even faster. Um, But as the race grew, they kind of let, you know, some, they let it be a little looser. But now the reason that they're making it harder, it's not because they don't want people to run. It's because they literally have limited spots available Um, And so they're just not able to let everyone run, you know, like 31,000 people running. That's a lot of people and they have to like cap it. Um, They wish they could accept everyone, right? But they have rules that they have to follow based on, you know, the permits that they pull and the workers that they have and all those sort of things. So it's just important to kind of keep that in mind. There's like reasons to this. They're not trying to make it. So it's, you know, super hard for everyone. Um, But there's obviously a really big interest in running Boston, which is really cool. And I think the interest has always been there, but it's becoming more popular. Maybe it's just raising awareness. Um, People are just becoming more inspired because they hear stories. And I think the internet has kind of like shrunk in the world a little bit. So you're able to see, you know, all these really inspiring stories from people who you might relate to and go, you know what, if she can do it, I can do it. And that's kind of what sparked me to want to qualify and to get to that next level is I saw other people because at first, you know, when I started running, I was like, Boston, that's for, you know, elites, quote unquote, or I thought, you know, you had to run your whole life. I just didn't think it was something that, you know, the average person who didn't start running until their adulthood could attain. I thought it was, you know, for a certain set of people. And I remember I used to tell the goal to, you know, coworkers and just random people throughout my life who weren't necessarily really into running and they'd almost like mock you laugh like oh you can't do that or isn't that like really hard and so you start to doubt yourself you're like I don't know but when you can have a community online like you know Instagram was a really powerful tool back in the day because I was able to follow like popular bloggers who had like done the same thing and they were just like regular people and moms and just had regular jobs and I thought whoa like what like actual regular people can qualify for Boston so it just really removed that whole you know stigma elitist thing and I think more people are just going after it whereas before people weren't actually going for it as much um have you seen that shift happen I know you used to work at a run club do you think that when one person qualified in the run club they were like hey she did it like I can do it and then it just kind of gets everyone like jacked up because it's like you might have been just right there but just having that encouragement to like go for it just like put it all on the table um do you think that there's that that social aspect to it where like people it's like shattering the glass ceiling or whatever only in the running world yeah I definitely think that your social community and your running you know who you associate with and as far as running goes seeing seeing them experience success or qualify I think that gets you motivated um, especially, you know, when I worked at, at an in-person run club and you'd have people that run similar 5k, 10k, even half times. And then one of them qualifies for Boston that really motivates the other one because they're like, well, I'm just as fast as they are. So now I, I just need to train and focus on this longer distance. And 
you know, through some patience and consistency, it'll happen eventually. But um, I think for most of us, we get into marathons and the goals, the first one is just to finish. Your second one might be to run a faster time than your first. Um, and then your third one, you know, maybe you want to go to a destination one or run a different course or whatever, or you want to try your first BQ attempt. And so I think there's just this continuation of like trying to set the target a little bit higher and a little bit um, more advanced for you. And, and eventually that goal will become to BQ. And, it, you know, if you're a person who's really, you know, intrinsically motivated to try to run faster. Some people, they just, they don't care. They just want to go out and run marathons for fun. But if you're someone who's trying to beat your time, I think that eventually you're going to get to that point where it's like, okay, uh, this is the pace I need to try to run. Let's go for it. Yeah. And I think that's really cool. And it shows, you know, the power of, you know, humans and the social interaction and the groups that you surround yourself with. So if you're surrounded maybe by a group that isn't as you know high thinking and no one's BQing no one wants to BQ like maybe that's where your mindset's gonna be but if you're surrounded by a group of people where it's like anyone can do it like work hard it's gonna pay off it almost sets a tone for you to like dream bigger and you know want to achieve more and I know kind of with your run club that you used to be a part of I know when I qualified for Boston the first time it really sparked an interest in a lot of people because they knew for such a long time I was stuck you know in the 350 340 range and then all of a sudden like breaking through to like 320 something and everyone was like what did you do different and it almost like for me I was like so excited and I wanted other people to you know experience and have that same success Um, And it can just spark this whole like trickle effect of one person ends up breaking through and then the next person breaks through and then that person shares their wisdom with more people and it just becomes um, a really good effect for everyone. And so I think just remembering that, you know, if you do get rejected from the race or whatever, there's so much good that comes out of striving for those goals because when you reach that next level, regardless of if you get admitted to the race or not, you're like changing your own mindset. You're breaking through your own barriers. And that whole like mental intrinsic part is so important. Um, And if you're someone who even inspires like one other person to do the same thing, you're affecting another person and not just in their running life, but in their whole life in general. Because if you can inspire one person to like dream bigger and think outside the box and achieve something that they didn't think was possible, that isn't just a running thing. That's a life thing. And if someone sees that they can do that with running, it allows them to then think, I can do this in other areas of my life. And that's why running can be such a transformational thing for athletes because they see that they can do these things out on the road on you know something so basic. And then they're like, well, if I can do that on the road, what can I do in my life? And it just inspires people to like think bigger, dream bigger, and do bigger things. Um, and that's kind of the whole background of Run for PRs really is just to help other people, you know, become the best versions of themselves, not even just with their running, but with their whole life. Because like I said, if you can do something with your running, imagine what you can do um, in your life, you know, when you break through to that next level and change your mindset. And I guess another thing, you know, we want to talk about, obviously, we, we kind of had a podcast earlier this year called like legal doping activities. And that's something that's definitely impacting how fast people are running. And it would be kind of an injustice to not be talking about that when we're talking about, you know, the faster Boston qualifying times that are going on. So we talked a little bit about how the Olympic trials qualifiers, there's a lot more of them. Um, and I know I've seen a lot of charts out there where people are saying what shoes everyone was wearing who ran in the Olympic trials or what were the shoes that you ran, ran in when you qualified. And it's like, so it's like 90% of all the runners were wearing one specific shoe, (laughs) which is crazy, but it's, you know, the next percent or the 4% from Nike, which everyone knows as 
they have this foam that's like very bouncy and then the carbon plate. So do you think that these technologies are allowing people to run faster times? Yeah, I mean, I've listened to some other podcasts too of experts who really break down the engineering of the shoe and and just looking at, you know, you mentioned a lot of great things earlier as far as why running has become more popular and why the qualifying times keep improving and just I think it's all of these reasons combined. So it is the shoes, it is the social media, it is the amount of races that we're seeing, including the faster courses, the downhill courses. Uh, but I definitely think the shoes have something to do with allowing us to, you know, feel feel efficient and maybe not not really providing that same like level of impact. Maybe it's absorbing some of the impact that is allowing our muscles to not fatigue as quick. So I think that there's something there with that. But um, I definitely think that that's a huge reason why we're seeing more people run BQs as well. Right. Yeah. And it's important to know that everyone has access to these shoes. So, you know, if you're someone who's getting real serious about your BQ and you're like, that's not fair, buy the shoes, right? Like, I mean, I would 100%, if they had these shoes back when I was training, you know, I would be buying all the shoes to, you know, get as fast as I possibly can. Cause they do, they do make a lot of people, you know, a little bit faster, but the bottom line is, um, these shoes aren't running for you. Right. As a lot of people would say, they're not going to like let you magically run some time that you're not like physically able to do. They just give you a little bit of an extra edge. It's kind of like eating breakfast before a race, right? Like it's going to help you, right? But if you didn't train for the race at all, it's not going to like fix your problem. So it's almost like a little supplement that you can give yourself to help you run a little bit faster on race day. Um, Another thing that's really popular that's been coming out a lot are, you know, races that advertise themselves as BQ races, and they're just literally courses that are ran down a mountainside. So it's like negative 5,000 elevation. So Imagine being on a treadmill and it'd be like negative 3% or negative 5% the entire time. Um, running downhill, uh, in case you don't know this already, is a lot easier than running you know, on a regular hilly course, kind of like Boston or whatever. So a lot of these races, like the Revel Series, they are all Boston qualifying courses, but they're extremely downhill. I've seen people run... Phew, 30 minutes faster than they do on a regular course just depends on your body some people literally like it's so hard to run downhill for them that they end up running up at the same time but some people's bodies mine included if I run downhill I don't know how or why this is even possible but like I run a minute per mile faster it's just insane I I don't know why I think I'm more of a quad dominant runner Mm -hmm. um my quad muscles are very strong so I don't have like going downhill is very easy for me. Whereas if I'm doing a course with rolling hills, I tend to have like a lot of hamstring issues, glute issues, because the backsides of my legs are a little bit um, weaker in comparison to, you know, my quads. So I think if you have a runner who's a quad dominant runner doing these downhill courses, I've never done a completely downhill race before. Um, the, The closest I ever got was the Marquette half marathon I did in 20. 16, um, a good five miles of that is completely downhill. And in that race, um, I did set a half PR at the time, but I remember when I was going down the hill, I PR'd in my 8k and my five, I PR'd in my 5k (laughs) during that. And I was like, I ran a 603 mile and it, it felt so easy. Um, and my, my overall pace ended up being like 640. 
two or something. But just that downhill mile, it's like you're able, I'm able to go so much faster. And I've seen that happen with some athletes who do the downhill courses. Um, some people just, they're not as good at running downhill. I know you never really speed up a lot when you run downhill, which is very interesting. Do you think that it varies from person to person? Like some people are just beasts at running downhill and some people it's like, it's a little harder on their body. Yeah, I think it's going to come down to like what, you know, your running economy and what feels efficient when you're running down the hill. Like you mentioned, your quad dominant, your quads are strong, so you can probably just handle going faster. I feel fine, I guess, as far as like my form and everything. Um, I do feel a little bit of like, I guess, gravity wanting to pull me too much so I make sure that I'm leaning back a little bit more than I probably naturally would. But I'm also worried about, yeah, the effect that it's going to have on my legs. So I'm I'm always a little bit cautious of, of signing up for those types of races but um yeah i definitely think that the downhill races are they're more popular now i've had a number of athletes sign up for them and they're also just kind of cool to go and do something that's a little bit more different and that's scenic so you know we were going to do a half one year before it got canceled in the in the denver area so it would have been cool to just like run down a mountain and to experience that but i think um that that you know when you look at the percentage of runners who have bq times i know it's much higher at those races than it is like a typical race so people are going there for that reason they know they're going to have a chance to run a bq or hopefully a lifetime best and i think that that's enticing to them to want to sign up for right yeah it's a good opportunity to run fast because it is down a mountain but i think it comes with some reputational you know things that occur uh, some people, they're very much against the, the shoes, you know, the, the next percents, the the 4%. Some people really don't like the shoe and they refuse to wear them and they will, you know, give flack to people who wear them. Uh, just like some people are against the downhill races and they won't participate in them. They give flack to people who participate in them. And they also almost downplay the accomplishment where, you know, you're running down the hill. So I guess those are all just things to kind of think about when you're headed into that. Um, if you care what people think or just just things to think of yourself. Um, it's definitely totally 100% a Boston qualifier, even though it's downhill. But some people, they just like to do it on a more quote-unquote, they, they would call it an honest course. So it's not, you know, downhill. Um, you know, sometimes people even say that about CIM, California International Marathon, which is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. I've done <laughs> California International Marathon. That is a ridiculously hilly course. And anyone that's going to say that it's a <laughs> downhill course, you guys can like personally come to me and talk to me about it. So I think the biggest takeaway here is don't really worry about what people are thinking of your accomplishments. Um, running down a mountain is not going to like make you faster that, I mean, you have to have the fitness there. You're going to need to train. Obviously it's not like you can just like arrive there and just float down the hill. Like your legs are still <laughs> turning over. It's still a marathon. You're still doing all the work. So I think there's always just going to be a level of like flack that people get regardless of what marathon you know they sign up for or do um and so just picking the one that's good for you and one that you feel comfortable comfortable and confident doing wearing the shoes that you want to wear and focusing on kind of what makes you the best runner that you can be is a really good strategy for coming up with you know becoming a Boston qualifier or even just running your fastest time maybe you don't want to be cute maybe you just want to run fast these are all options that you have to kind of amplify those things so I hope that you kind of enjoyed this and how we broke down 
the main parts of qualifying for Boston and kind of what it takes to get there in terms of meeting the qualification, how to plan for it and all that stuff. If you have any specific questions about like your age group or your qualifying time, we would love to kind of chat with you, come up with a game plan. You can fill out the form at www.runforprs.co and we can chat with you right away. Thanks for listening.